0: Yes, amen, and amen to our team. Thank you all so much. You know, there is not a more beautiful sight than when a group of people are on the same page and being driven by something that is greater than themselves and something that lasts forever. It's just something about those kind of purposeful, intentional awesome friendships. Many of you know that we uh, recently returned from the Holy Land. Some 55 from our church went, and uh, they enjoyed, we enjoyed some wonderful, wonderful time together. Now, you have to realize we, we basically walked four miles a day on average. And I noticed for our church family, they just loved being together. There was a sense of joy, a lot of laughter, a lot of tears from what we were seeing and what we were learning. But there was that passion to know more. And how the Lord brought a sense of, of energy and, and renewal to that group. Ann Hayes, many of you know Ann. She's one of our teachers in women's ministry. And, um, well, she's, she's up there in years, you know, just like I am and so forth. And, you know, the week before we left, Ann had a medical procedure a defibrillator and pacemaker because of heart issues. And um, a week before going international, her first time. And I noticed, as did Renee, day after day, Anne was walking. The only time she took a taxi, it wasn't because of an uphill climb, but a downhill. Because we were on the Mount of Olives going down to the Garden of Gethsemane, it was really steep. And so she took a taxi just for a short run. And oh, how passionate she was about what she was seeing and who she was seeing those sights with. How are you? When when you think about your life, your life's investments, and what matters most, where does your mind go? You know, everything that man builds and accomplishes and so forth has a, has a shelf life. With the exception, if we build our lives upon God's Word and people, we are building our lives upon what lasts forever. That's a keeper. I may be showing my age here, but years ago, you know, the uh, Peanuts comic series... And uh, Charles Schultz uh, put it this way, you know, I love mankind, it's just people I can't stand. You know, here in Atlanta, we, we live a fast-paced life, and sometimes we can get put out with the slightest of things when we're stressed. You know what's gotten me this past week? Being at a stoplight, about four or five cars behind, and the lead car, when the light turned green, turns green, they do nothing. They just sit there. Maybe traffic gets you. But for us to come back a moment and realize what is most important. When I think about the Apostle Paul and the friends he was making, this story that unfolds in Romans chapter 15 is just such a personable side to the Apostle Paul's life. And so we have the opportunity to just be reminded that enduring friendships built around the gospel is priceless. I heard some time ago of one who who put it this way, you know, there are friends for a season, friends for a reason, and if by chance you're fortunate, you will have some friends for a lifetime. When I was starting out in vocational ministry some 40 years ago, Renee and I, we were starting out in ministry. She was handling praise and worship, and I was the lead pastor. And there was a country music artist, King Edward Smith. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well, we enjoyed a few years together, and um, he was just a country guy with such wisdom. And something he said really resonates still with me. He said, Mike, if you end your ministry being able to count on the fingers of just one hand... Those who have stood by you and stood with you, your ministry will be marked as success. Isn't that amazing? When you think about the hundreds and hundreds of people that pass our way. So for us to capture and to be reminded the pricelessness of enduring friendships that have in common the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, here is the Apostle Paul, and we're going to step into Paul's life and learn and be reminded of some very important things. So, this account in Romans chapter 15, Paul is in Corinth, and he is wanting to prepare his friends in Rome for his coming. And so he writes this letter from Corinth, and he tells them, I have been wanting to see you for a long, long time, and so I just want to let you know what my plans are. And so he writes these verses. Now, Paul is in Corinth, and Rome is just down the road a stretch. Can we put it that way? But Paul says, before I come to you, I have to attend to a matter. I have taken an offering from the churches at Macedonia and Achaia, basically northern and southern Greece. And he said, I am going to take that offering to Jerusalem for the Jewish believers who are hard-pressed right now because of extreme poverty. Well, you have to understand what I just told you. Um, From Corinth to Jerusalem, you know how long that is? That's 800 miles. And given the mode of transportation in the first century, that's telling, isn't it? As far as his passion for the gospel. And as he continues writing, he says, after I deliver, then I'm going to, to come to you. Well, I am told that from Jerusalem to Rome is 1,500 miles. And he said, I'm just going to be passing through. Don't expect me to stay for a long time, but I want to spend time with you, to pray with you, and to share more teaching with you, and then I'm going to make my way to Spain. You know how far Spain is from Rome? I am told, 700 miles. So here is Paul, no supersonic jets, nothing like that. He's just laying out for his friends in Rome, his plans to travel some 3,000 miles. And it was like nothing. Such commitment to enduring friendships, such commitment to that which lasts forever. And you know, that's kind of contagious for me. How in the world could somebody be so committed and driven? It was because the gospel was resonating so deeply into his heart. Paul's life was literally transformed. Don't forget how Acts opens up and Paul's life on the road to Damascus was literally transformed. He was once a hater of the faith, now he's a lover of the faith. And he's putting everything on the line every single day. So here is Paul, writing from Corinth to his friends. So for us to be fully alive, what's it going to take? In terms of living with eternity in view. It really does come down to just two things. And we see this so clearly in this 15th chapter. Paul talks first of all about the message. His his core message is this. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was focused on that. He never deviated from that. And I know in our day and time when we hear gospel, we know it means good news. And it was good news because of what God did through His Son Jesus in paying for our sin on the cross. And when we receive Christ into our life, then His blood that was shed on that cross is applied to our sin, washing it away. And so nothing stands between us and the God who made us, and He looks upon us through the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a huge emotional and psychological benefit to that, one would have to agree. We needn't struggle with acceptance, with forgiveness and such. So we know what we have been saved from. But something I want to bring to your attention this morning. You've been saved to something. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? We have been saved to join Paul. The heroes of the faith. We have been joined to the myriad of believers, past and present, and those yet to come, to join in and sharing this gospel. Now, now if I were to say this, there are no lone rangers in the body of Christ. Would, Would that resonate at all? You know, the Apostle Paul, there were a lot of people that built into his life. I mean, Gamaliel, I mean, he, he had his teachers, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, so, so the law, the, the, the written code, all of that he knew. But then once he was saved on that road to Damascus, then God provided through Peter, through Barnabas. He brought new friends into Paul's life, and they were so pivotal at such an early point in his journey with the Lord. And you know, when I think about communicating with you today, I don't know whether it's my age or not, but I go back to my childhood at Oakland Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia, and all those Sunday school teachers, how they spoke into my tender young heart. And by the way, since we're celebrating Vacation Bible School when I was a little guy and my mother She taught every year. Did you know Vacation Bible School was two weeks? (laughs) And Kids came from all over. Point I want to make, when when one stands to preach or when one stands to teach, when, when you are serving, be it in children or in your small group, God has brought people into your life to walk with you, to disciple you, and to grow you. And such is the case for the Apostle Paul. Now, as he is writing to them, he says, please pray. And he asks them to really be in prayer about two things. He asks them to to pray that the offering would be accepted. You know, it's one thing to take an offering, and it's another thing for those whom you want to be the recipient of the offering to actually receive it. You see, the Gentiles in Macedonia, Achaia, they are the recipients of the gospel message which initially was spoken to the Jewish community. Paul knew that as God allowed him to make it to Jerusalem and he presented the offering, if the Jewish people accepted it, then it would mean that they had accepted the understanding that salvation through Christ was open to the Gentiles as well. And that was going to be huge, not only for the Apostle Paul, but for the early church in that first century time. Well, guess what? Those in Rome prayed, and the offering was received. And and there was unity. Paul also asked that they be in prayer as he was returning to Jerusalem. He was a hated guy in Jerusalem. And he had plans to go to Spain, as I've already shared, and to Rome. He, he asked that he would be protected, that God would, would watch over him so that he could make his way to see his friends in Rome. You know, God answered that prayer, but not so much in the way that Paul thought. His life was not taken, but there in Jerusalem, the Judaizers, there was a massive unrest which resulted in in Paul being arrested and so when he's going to Rome, he's going to Rome because he appealed to Caesar, and his, he is going as a criminal in chains. But he made it to Rome. This thing of the gospel message, does it drive, does it move our lives to move forward in investing in the lives of other people? knowing that as we invest in their lives and they invest in ours, this passion for the gospel continues to resonate over and over and over. Let me, let me take you back to, to the Holy Land. So we are below Temple Mount, and we have been in Jerusalem for, for a couple days, and we are hearing from our Jewish guides as to the unrest, the factions that, that make up the population in Jerusalem, the, the Muslims, and there are factions within the, the Muslim community and, and the Jewish community, uh, factions there, some very secular, some very orthodox. And the Christian community, you, you, you have your fractures and so forth. Before going to the Holy Land, I sat down with Dr. Youssef. And he was letting me know current events and so forth. And, and what he shared, it was, it was just captivating me. And I said, Dr. Youssef, it sounds like the issues that are in Israel right now, only Jesus Christ is going to solve and bring people together. And he became very animated at that point strongly agreeing that only through Christ can men be brought together in this fractured world in which we live that is even now close to home in our own society. And so Paul is praying, asking that the gift would be received and that God might allow him to continue his ministry as he goes to Rome, sharing the gospel of Christ. So if we are going to be fully alive, very important that we understand what our message is to be. And I can only tell you this, when you're on point in ministry and and living out your, your gifting, be it in teaching or in serving, you're just engaging in the lives of other people, you are never more fully alive as opposed to one obligation, one assignment, one project, one deal after another. Any amens to that? Okay. The second thing to be fully alive, as as Paul shared, is this thing of focus. The Apostle Paul, when he when he shared about his life, he said, I have determined not to say anything, but what God, what Christ has called me to say. In other words, he was measured, he was focused, he was on point. How about the Apostle Paul? so he makes his way to Rome. The gospel message, he is wanting to encourage those believers and the focus of his life. You know, for us, in our journey with the Lord, that focus is key. The Apostle Paul spent his life exercising God's call in such a beautiful, beautiful way. This thing of focus and sharing the gospel, I was listening to Chuck Swindoll last week coming into work, and one thing he said, you know, our calling in the church is to lead believers into a life of obedience. I mean, that, that's really the goal line, and such it was for Paul, that his ministry would result, as he says in Romans chapter 15, that the Gentiles would grow into obedience. Do you see it there? In word and in deed not obeying to be accepted, but as a result of being accepted to live a life that is in line with God's calling and God's will that resulted in those believers. I mean, imagine this. He's outside of the the Jewish realm now. He is in Macedonia, in, in Achaia, Illyricum from Jerusalem, Seven, or 1,400 miles, and now he is riding from Corinth. Think about the gospel message and its surviving and resonating in that world. Had it not been for the faithful obedience on the part of those believers to live out their faith, what would have become of the mission But Paul was being encouraged because lives, just like his, were being radically transformed so that the look of one's life truly resembled the look of Jesus Christ. So, being fully alive, it comes down to message, and it comes down to the focus of our lives, lifelong what became of Paul? You know, it, uh, it tells us, Acts closes with Paul under house arrest, and tradition has it that Paul was released from house arrest. Now, we don't know whether he made it to Spain or not. We, we really don't know if he made it to Germany to Britain, but what we can say, along with Clement of Rome as he wrote in A.D. 96 of the Apostle Paul and his focus and his determination, he he wrote this of Paul, to the whole world he taught righteousness and reaching the limits of the West he bore his witness before rulers. Going to be 63 next month. And I know some of you are saying, Ah, oh, you're just a pup. Some days I don't feel like a pup. But I, just like the Apostle Paul, I want to go to give it all for the gospel's sake, as long as God puts the breath of life in my lungs. And you as well. What became of the Apostle Paul? We know this. His last letter was Second Timothy, and he's writing to his son in the faith, his protege. He had discipled young Timothy And it tells us that Paul was arrested once again. And he was placed in a prison that was a horrible, dark, dank, foreboding prison. And it was underground. Prisoners who were placed there were condemned. It was the Mamertine prison in Rome. The prison was such to where these condemned men who were facing execution could look out through a window over into the forum where the execution would be taking place. And Paul was placed there, and he was missing Timothy terribly. And so he is writing this letter. And Dr. Luke, only Luke is with him at this point. And Paul is writing to Timothy, my time of departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And can you imagine Paul looking out in the midst of that dark, dreary dungeon that was only about eight feet high, 15 feet square, just rock? And to look across the way into the forum, knowing what was going to happen. But Paul never wavered. (laughs) He never doubted the message. He never lost his focus. And a lot was riding on that because from that, Timothy and Luke would take the message as to how Paul responded in the last days of his earthly ministry. Is there any quit in you? Please tell me no. Where the gospel is concerned, please tell me that there are others in your life. And if you have, because of the dance of life, become somewhat isolated in relationships, and it's just you and the dog? Would you be willing to take a step back and to re-engage into the lives of others that God brings into your life? The thing that stands out to me in Romans 15 is that Paul had friends in a lot of places. That may be something we Need to revisit in the ordering of our lives. Guys, it's especially easy for us. We're working all day, we come home, we're tired, we're doing the yard work, whatever. We're spending time with the kids, spending time with the wife. And guess what, guys? We can wake up one day and realize we don't have one close male friendship. Now, how's that working for you? For me, it doesn't work too good. That's why men's ministry is so key for us as men to huddle together so that the fire continues to burn brightly. Well, you may be thinking, well, that's the Apostle Paul. I'm not Paul. I don't know where he got that kind of determination. He was a real smart guy in theology and philosophy. I just can't really plug into Paul's life. I mean, I appreciate it, and I'm inspired by it. How about let's let's come a little closer to the present. The year is 1904. The man's name was William Borden. He was inheriting in line to inherit Millions of millions of dollars through the affluent Borden family. Sixteen years of age, he graduates high school. And you know what mom and dad gave him? They gave him a trip around the world. And um, on his travels, he was so gripped with the need that he saw. And you know, it was on that trip as a 16-year-old student that he committed his life to being a missionary. He comes back home, tells his family, and one of his close friends said, you're just throwing your life away if you're going to be a missionary. And it was very interesting, in the back of his Bible, he wrote these words, no reserve." He went on to enroll at Yale University. And uh, he noticed on campus humanistic moral depravity and a sinful darkness that permeated the campus. And you know what he did in the midst of that? He had a friend. And he said, "Why don't we just pray together each morning?" And so, Bill Borden would read a little bit of the scripture, and then he and his friend would uh, would pray. After that first year, his his year as a freshman, two grew to 150. And it was during his time at Yale, he was committed to this time of prayer, but he was also committed to showing God's love in such a way to where he founded Yale Hope Mission for the poor, for the oppressed, for the hungry. He would often be found late at night in the worst part of New Haven ministering to to the drunks, or having a late, late dinner with one who was really hungry, talking to that person about the gospel. And so he's making his way through his years at Yale, and you know, in his senior year, bear in mind there were only 1,300 students on campus You know how much that prayer group had grown to? 1,000 students. Isn't that cool? And so graduation came. And um, he passed up good offers for some great jobs providing silly money. And he wrote... Underneath in the back of his Bible, no reserves. He now wrote, no retreats. So he graduates and um, he felt called to the Muslim Kanzu people in China. And so he packs up everything he has and he is on his way. He is sailing and um, he stops in Egypt to learn. Arabic. And while in Egypt, he contracts spinal meningitis. He's twenty five years of age. In the back of his Bible, he once again writes below. No reserves, no retreats. He writes his final entry, no regrets. And the Lord called him home. You know, it's not how many uh, days you live necessarily, but the life and the number of days that God gives. Wouldn't you agree with that? So you think, well, boy, you're you're ending this sermon on such somber notes. Well, you, you could look at it that way. But for Paul, for William Borden, these guys were fully alive until the day God called them home. Paul was writing Scripture perhaps days before he was beheaded for his faith. So how about us? What would the Lord have for us this day? What's God calling you to today, Dad, on Father's Day 2018? You trying to do it alone? Is life turning you every which way but loose? You want that kind of passion that Paul and William Borden had? Yeah, nothing's changed. God's still God. And when I think about fully alive, these, these descriptors come to my mind. Destiny, adventure. And the older I get, I don't want that to go away. I don't want to withdraw and retreat from people and ministry. I want to engage fully. And if that's going to happen, my life must be about the gospel as was Paul's. And I've got to keep my eye on the prize, the focus. Let's pray together. Father, you've been kind to speak to us so faithfully this morning. And Lord, on this Father's Day that you would just press in. upon guys on Father's Day. Father, it's it's real easy for us to think that the best of life is in the rearview mirror for our country, for our world. Tough times. But Father, in you, through the power of your Spirit, these can be and will be the best of times. Father, that we might rediscover, if need be, your call, your direction for our lives. And Father, may the adventure to share the gospel. And just like William Borden. Maybe taking that step forward is just to uh, begin praying with somebody at work before the day begins. To pray with our spouse. Maybe it's about serving. Engaging in the lives of others, be it children or adults. And Lord Jesus, how clearly you have shared with us that we are never more like you. Than when we are freely serving others, mind off of ourselves, onto you, onto others. Oh Father, you have a plan, you have a purpose. Oh God, speak as we drive a stake in the ground, saying, I'm all in. Take me. And use me, Lord Jesus, for your glory and for the gospel's sake. In Christ's name.